time now to welcome in Steve Cleveland, our basketball insider. He joins DJ and PK, and Steve is joining us on the Sprint Special Guest Line. Lease any phone and get an iPad or Samsung Tab A for $99.99. Visit the Sprint store nearest you. Steve, good morning. Good morning. So, Steve, I want to set your basketball expertise aside and go to the less fun part of the job, basketball CEO and logistics guy, because we've heard these plans to restart the NBA, and one of the plans to minimize travel, which would seem to be a huge problem, is to put everybody in one city. And, for instance, a city like Vegas, right? There are multiple... Uh, hotels that have arenas in them, plus they've got an arena that's built for the NHL there, plus UNLV has an arena, presumably there are high school gyms to, uh, that could be rented out that teams could practice in, maybe you can get some uh, bus company and charter a couple buses for each team. Are the logistics of this, I mean, is this one of the things that sounds good on the surface, like giving athletes uh, in the winter sports another year of eligibility, but when you start digging into it, it gets too complicated. You've been in Vegas when there are multiple conference tournaments going on. That's not the same thing, but maybe it's close. How do you think that would work? You know, I mean, if you're, ta- if you're talking about doing all of the games, all of the playoff games uh, for the Western Eastern Conference in Vegas, you know, I-, I think that might be a logistics nightmare just in terms of, uh, you know, like obviously we're going to use high school gyms, which – Seems to be that would be a difficult thing. I think you have you've got a couple of big time arenas there where you could probably play games during the day, kind of like a C two A tournament game where you have games at twelve, two, four, six, and eight. And if you had two or three facilities, it'd probably work out. I mean, there's some the, the good part about that is it eliminates a lot of travel. Though they are all traveling privately anyway, and so there would be no fear of uh, you know any kind of disease situation or circumstances. But I, I, I kind of like the idea in, in something in a, in a central location where uh, I think the most important thing is that when, you know, 200 million people turn a TV on, there's an NBA game. And I, I think that uh, I don't know financially how this all works with the NBA and the TV contracts, but I'm telling you right now, it'll be must-watch TV. It doesn't matter, I mean, where they really play them. Everyone's going to be watching, whether there's fans there or not. And I, I know the players would much rather have fans there. That's a, that's probably an unlikely thing. If they end up doing this in May or June, uh, I still think we're in the midst of this thing where they're not going to take chances of bringing fifteen or twenty thousand people together. But uh, I do know this: if they do it, they have it, they can market it, and everybody's going to be watching. You've been in situations where you've been a coach and you've had to bring somebody back off an injury and you recognize that it takes some time because you can be off just a few days and really miss out on conditioning and whatnot. So the point for you is how long do you think they will need before they can, once they say we're going to get back, let's pick the date. So how much lead-in time and workout time do you think they would need before they're ready to actually play legitimate competition? Well, you know, in, in a normal world, you know, they, they, they'll have, you know, preseason camp and, and uh, you know, they'll spend a, come in for a couple of weeks and, and do that. You guys have been a, a part of that a lot. And, uh, but I, w- I would think that if everybody had a couple of weeks where they could go hard and do it, I mean, they play, they've got, you know, 50 or 60 games under the belt already. I, I would suspect that most of these guys are taking care of themselves, the ones, at least especially the ones that haven't been sick. And even those, they're probably – 
they have their own, you know, they have their own facilities in their homes. They have access to places that I'm sure that shots are getting up and they're doing certain things, just not in big groups. So I would think that you could pull something off like this in two weeks, two or three weeks, you know, max. Uh, it's not like they're going to have to put in a new offense and new out-of-bounds plays and all of that kind of thing. I mean, that'll come back to them pretty quick, and they can do that stuff. The film part, uh, all, all of that technical part can be done, you know, even earlier than that. Once they get the go-ahead that, hey, let's say it's going to be uh, – May 25th is when it's going to, that's the starting date or June 1st. And when every, I would assume that every NBA team has been tested. Is that right? Uh, if it has, they haven't gone public with that. We know a lot okay. of, a lot of teams have been, several teams have been tested. We know the Jazz have okay. been tested. We know the Celtics have been tested. We know Toronto's been tested. But I, I don't think we know that all 30 have. I, it might I mean, be true. I would think that that would be the highest priority that, First of all, we're not even going here until everybody's been tested, and that means personnel, coaches, everybody. You, you know, we, we want a sterile environment where everyone's clean and healthy. So that has to happen. And when, once that happens, then then I think that two weeks will be plenty of time for them to, to get ready. And, and uh, it's not like I said, it's, it's stuff they've already been doing. It's just a matter of getting some runs in. And, again, the thing is, too, you do it slowly. You don't want to get people hurt. Uh, kind of like they do in the preseason. So I think two weeks will be plenty of time. And uh, considering I think a lot of them right now already, even, you know, even being quarantined, a lot of these guys have facilities in their homes or on their properties uh, or have access to that kind of thing. So they, they, uh, they, they could do that. I, I, just, I think that's really doable. You know, it's, uh, the stakes are so high because if you talk to people in uh... – in Montreal, you know, the Expos had a really good team. And if they and who knows if they'd been able to win it all or not in nineteen eighty in nineteen ninety four when the baseball strike happened. But the Expos had a good team that year. And if they had, would there have been the momentum to build a new stadium and would they have not moved to Washington? And I think we can look at parallels now. And they may be imperfect, but it doesn't stop people from wondering and talking, you know, is Kempo going to stay in Milwaukee? If he wins the title, is he more likely to stay? If he, you know, he's got basically a year and a few months left on his contract now. And, and Milwaukee's just having that kind of season where everything seems to go right. Now, he did have a knee injury and miss a couple games, but it seems like the stakes are high for a franchise like the Bucks. because how often do the, do the smaller market, cold-weather teams have a legit shot at a title? Well, you know, I, I kind of watched that and listened to that as well. And, I, you know, I've, I've listened to his sound bites. I've listened to people kind of analyze this and talk about it. And, uh, you know, first thing, I, number one, I, I think he really, really, really wants to win a championship in Milwaukee. And, and that's doable. I mean, they, they, it could happen. Uh, but I will be shocked if he stays. And uh, I, I just think that it, it's a good run. It's, it, you know, there, there's a lot more. These guys have so much going on outside of the game and finding a niche and finding a place that you can live in a, in the United States somewhere that you're comfortable with. Uh, you know, I'm not – he's never lived really in the cold weather, has he? I mean, I, I, I'm assuming he's been in mild climates in Greece and in Europe. I'm not sure other places he's lived. But uh, uh, I think that a warmer weather kind of community – uh, wherever he goes, he's going to be loved and appreciated, and, and, and there's going to be good coaches, and he's going to get taken care of. But I think 
if they don't, well, I think for sure, if they don't win, win something here soon, he, he's definitely gone. He, he wants to go somewhere where they're going to build a team. And they got a pretty good team right now that has been built. But uh, my gut feeling is he leaves. And uh, whether they win a championship or not, I think he'd feel a lot better if you kind of like uh, Kawhi win a championship. I, I did what I was supposed to do here. I brought it here. But you know what? Uh, I'm in charge of my wife and my family and everybody else, and, and this is what I want to do. And that's that's part of the business. I think it's kind of, it's kind of like, you know, it used to be uh, somebody left a high school or a college and transferred. It. Everybody got really offended by it. You know, that's just the nature now. College, everybody's leaving. People are trying to find the right place for them, and the NBA is not any different. And uh, I, I, just, I just don't see them staying there. So this time – Every year we see a bunch of college kids, the one and dunners, who decide they're going to come out and they've got a bunch of stuff looking forward to as far as individual workouts, the combines, and all that stuff. Now, it doesn't look like that's going to happen. I don't know what's going to happen as far as that goes. But how do you think this is going to affect? We've seen some kids who've decided to come out. How do you think it's going to affect kids' decisions on whether to try the NBA this coming season or come back for another year of college? You know, I I think if there's ever a a year where young men are going to consider all their options and and recognize that they're not even sure right now what the NBA is going to look like and and they're not sure how they fit in and what the circumstances are. So I I, I would think that especially guys that are kind of on – on the edge there where there's not, they're not sure things. You know, there's always eight, ten guys you just know are going to go to the draft. But guys who think they're going to be late first-rounders or maybe early second-rounders, uh, you know, it, it's one of those things that maybe they consider now going back for one more year and so things are a little more stable. Uh, you know, I, I can see that happening uh, where coaches could have conversations, collegiate coaches could have conversations, uh, Agents have conversations with guys. You know what? Maybe this isn't a great year. I'm not sure what, how this is going to all play out. It may be best just to come back to a sure thing. But I think the guys that are going to come out, the top 10, 12, 15, the lottery type guys are probably still going to come out. But I, I, I do believe because of so much unknown uh, that everybody is a, a little bit, you know, we're, we're all a, a little bit panicked in that what, what's, what's happening here, you know? I mean, as part of it, you go – different parts of the country are doing different things. And, you know, finally now everybody seems to be committing to quarantine. And, but there's so many unanswered questions and uh, it's, it's hard to make any real important decisions right now about anything because you don't know what's going to happen the next day. And and so what happens typically people are pretty conservative. You know, I, I have a son that's going to be moving and, you know, all of a sudden he says, dad, I don't know, this is not a great time to move. I said, well, you're going to move because you're going to move. But I said, yeah, it is different. And there are circumstances. I don't know if people are going to be looking at homes right now or wanting to go or do this or that. But uh, everybody's a little skittish. Everybody's not real quick to make decisions and final plans, you know. And I, I, think, I don't think the NBA players are going to be any different than that. I don't think the college players and their families are going to be any different than that. I think there's going to be a lot more introspection, a lot more assessment and evaluations making sure this is the right thing. You know, I, I was with Austin Ains a few weeks ago. He was here watching, uh, watching a game when Fresno State was playing uh, Wyoming, and we spent about three or four hours together. 
and uh, it, it was good. We had we had lunch and we started talking about the league and everything. And I, you know, it, it is amazing to me the the depth and of, of the analytics and the projections of collegiate players. I mean, it is beyond anything I ever saw in synergy. Uh, it, it is, in, and when I was coaching, in terms of where they see them, what their ceilings are, what their strengths or weaknesses, and the analytics just go, you know, they're, they're off the charts in terms of assessment of these, these young people. And, you know, basically he's got a 3% chance of making the NBA. He's got a 17% chance of making a team in the NBA. So a lot of that work has been done by all the analytic experts, so all the, you know, the, the, the franchises. And, but it, for me, it was like, wow, this is a whole other level. And uh, I think the NBA guys kind of know themselves. You know, uh, unlike a, a young man I coached, Paul George, who wasn't even on the draft boards, but that played well late and got in, you know, invited by a couple of clubs to do that. And then he just knocked it out of the park in the interviews and all those kinds of things. And sometimes it's more than just the workout, you know. I mean, these interviews and what kind of character they have, what kind of ceiling do they have, uh, sometimes those things can really elevate a young man in the draft when he hasn't played at a P5 conference, he's never been a first-team all-leaguer, but they looked at him and said, wow, this kid has got a work ethic, he's, he's got all the intangibles that we would want in a player, plus he's grown two inches. So... There's, there's going to be some guys like that every year that come out of the draft that people just kind of shake their head and, hmm, I wonder what. And, uh, and then they end up being pretty good players. So how much do you think uh, Austin, and obviously Danny, rely on the analytics of college players and making the NFL, and how much do you think they just look at somebody, see, and talk to somebody, and just know this guy's got what it takes to do whatever it takes to climb to the top of the mountain? whatever the next mountain is, whatever the next hill is. You know, uh, I, I will say this first, is uh, it seems like every NBA team has two, three, four, five people doing this. And so it, and it's been around long enough to know that they trust the numbers. They trust the numbers. But that being said, you know, guys like Danny and, and even Austin, who's played and been around this game their whole life, there's a gut feeling that you get when you go and watch someone play. We went and watched this young man play, and he had, you know, he was he was a young man that would be projected a couple of years from now, you know. But you got to, you know, he's a freshman. He was six nine, and uh, you could watch him do some things you really like. And Austin would just stop and go, "Ooh, that's not good," you know. And and, and all of a sudden, you know, he, what he's shooting forty eight percent from from the field, but. The shot looks a little bit broke, you know. And, and, and mind you, there's it's early in his recruitment or his assessment, but a lot of the comments that we had together had a lot more to do with the the effort and the bounce and you know the things that kind of naturally came with him rather than necessarily the technical skills. And even though the numbers, the analytics showed that he's one of the best freshmen in the country, I think when Austin left, he felt like. He, he's, he's, got, he's got to have some time. He, he probably needs two, at least two more years before he can get to a point where he could, could be there. Because he had, I mean, he pulled his phone up, showed me the analytics and projected, and, you know, he, I think he, the young man had like a 7% chance of making the NBA. Well, 
a freshman that has a 7% chance of making the NBA is worth going and watching for a couple more years. You know, they get stronger, they get bigger, uh, they develop a shot, all the things that come with that. So uh, I, I think they, I think it, it always comes down to your gut feeling with your coaches, GMs, all the people that make the decisions. Because if you if you don't have a gut feeling that this guy's even if no matter where, where, where it is, sometimes their analytics may not be great. And, and, and things don't seem to make it, you know, but man, this guy does so many other things that I think that he can help our team. You know, a guy like Marcus Smart. I, I don't even remember watching Marcus Smart play in college, to be honest with you. But, you know, he, he was a guy, he probably was a really good college player, but you look at him in the NBA and he's a guy that's just gotten better and better and better. Or a guy like Bruce Bowen, who, who I coached every summer for four years. He was a high school player at Edison High School here, who went to Fullerton and went to Europe and played in the G Leagues forever. You know, I, he would have never projected as a first or a second round NBA player, but, you know, seven, eight years later, he ends up <laughs> winning three or four rings with the San Antonio Spurs because he figured out how to make a three and how to guard. And it's a specialized league. And they don't need every guy to be a dis- difference maker. They need guys that can do certain things really well, can really shoot it. But if you can get guys who can do multiple things, and obviously they're more valuable, but uh, never know the growth that a player is going to make. And so I-, I thought Austin did a great job there. I mean, it was fun talking to him about it. We watched other guys on the floor. And, uh, and then that was, re- that was what made that day enjoyable, just getting his feel and sense. And obviously he's around his dad a lot and uh, who has a great mind and obviously was a great player and has been around. So uh, those things are both important. But uh, at, at the end of the day, analytics, yeah, I mean, people need to know that stuff's really, really important. It puts everything in place, and then you go look for the intangibles and the, the chemistry things that make guys really special. I'm wondering here this year, with everything being upside down and we don't know if they're going to be able to have these workouts or in, I guess they can have individual meetings, but they obviously the combine certainly looks like it could be in question. If kids should come out, if they're thinking, well, should I or shouldn't I, should they come out now because the NBA won't have the ability, at least in the combine setting potentially, not to pick at their games. And it seems like we've seen this with football big time. A kid like Matt Leinart would have come out his junior year, would have been the number one pick, but he comes back and he ends up staying because they pick at your game a little bit and they discover flaws that maybe they didn't see when you were younger. So in that way, is this a better time for them to come out because they can't get so negative about the way you play? Well, I think there's more risk for the league if if they don't allow them to work out and don't allow them to do certain things in the weight room and all the other other things that they do. Then there is more risk to the NBA, and and I think the advantage is to these young players that you're right. I mean, the, it, all the warts and issues and you know the, the deficient things they are deficient at may not come through in a in a uh, in an interview. However, they've got. At least 25, 30, 40, you know, games that they can watch. So they've got a little bit, but guys do. I mean, that's the thing is that a, a, a young man from his sophomore year to junior year makes significant improvement. And then from his sophomore year, you know, it's, it's a, let's say it's a six eight, six nine kid who was a low post player. Now he's developed where he can bounce it and he can shoot the three, and you know, so you you can't project those things, but you can watch a kid shot and you can see the mechanics of it. 
you can see it, you know, if he's squared and his legs are into it and all of the things. You can still study that on film and know, you know what, I know we're not going to work on it, but I know this kid can shoot. And, and, and it may, maybe the collegiate or wherever he's coming from, uh, statistics prove that out. But I think you're right. There's more probably risk to miss some things on guys if you're not working them out. If you're not, I mean, they'll, they'll obviously have an interview with them. So that will mean they have to watch more film, talk to more people. I know when I've had guys drafted, uh, I mean, I, I get 20 different calls from different people. You know, I mean, it's just like, tell me, tell me about this. Tell me about that. You know, you know from intangibles to, to skill set. And everybody's doing their due diligence. That's the one thing about this league is uh, the, the details of that draft you know, I mean, people sit there, well, I have no idea what's gone on for the previous, you know, six, eight months where people have been watched multiple times, lots of film, and then crunch all the numbers, figure out where that is. And, and we know that analytics aren't everything. And, and the, the, the things that, you know, the, the effort level, all of those things that you can't really evaluate or you know, put a number on uh, are, are critical in a young man's success at that level. And if he's got a motor, uh, that's going to be really important, you know, and if he's got great vertical, that's going to be important. But it, it, I, I think it would be an advantage to the players if, you know, some of the, uh, maybe some of their weaknesses, they don't have to show those and uh, guys just kind of have to rely on collegiate film. But I, I don't know. I, I, I'll be honest with you. It, it, it's, it's a matter of all the bargaining that goes on before the draft and we're trying to lobby themselves to get in to a specific spot looking for a specific guy right now. Pretty sure most of the NBA teams know who the first-round guys are going to be. Probably be harder with the second round. Because that NC2A tournament, that, that is a critical time. And, you know, and I'll give you an example of that. Because, and not that he ended up being a great NBA player. Cause, but you remember when Rafael Ruggio was playing, and he goes for like 28 and 14 or something against uh, Syracuse. I mean, he... He wasn't on the draft board. And, it, and I, there were some things looking at him, maybe a late second-round pick. And, it, and the kid played himself into – because he had a body. He had a huge upside, you know. And, they, they, you know, he goes to Toronto as a lottery. And, and so that is the negative for the kids, that sometimes guys can really up their stock in the tournament when all eyes, the whole world is on you, and go, Wow. And he did it against Team Oric, who ended up, you know, they, they knew he was an NBA player, and he just went for 28 and 12 or 14 against him. And he had a huge, giant body. And, you know, he, just, he didn't last in the league more than about six, five, six years. But at the end of the day, that tournament that's not happening, that hurts kids because sometimes they can play themselves into a first or a second round pick. Steve, as always, we appreciate uh, a little bit of time. Thanks for joining us and talking some hoops today. Thanks, guys. Have a good one. Steve Cleveland, our basketball insider, joining us right here on 97.5 at 1280 The Zone.